How is it possible that it's already August? We hope you are enjoying your summer. Back by popular demand is our AirPods Pro giveaway. Members who successfully answer our bonus content quiz will be entered for a chance to win a pair of AirPods Pro. To participate, you must have access to the bonus sections of the podcasts, which you get by becoming a member. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of August, you'll receive 50% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code BONUSCONTENT, one word, at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code bonus content. Thank you for your support. Nine, twelve, ten, twenty-eight, two, twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from Washington, D.C. I am joined, as always, in this particular podcast, which we call the Spy Hour, by Mark Polymeropoulos, who is somewhere in North Carolina for reasons that are hard to explain. How are you doing, Mark? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm in uh, beautiful Duke University. Just taught some classes here, so it's uh, it, it's lovely. I got to go find some good barbecue after this. If you have any suggestions, I need some barbecue places in Durham. Well, I, I don't know that I've got any good suggestions, but we have a great guest today, um, Abigail Spanberger, who is a member of the United States Congress, the representative from Virginia's 7th Congressional District, member of the Democratic Party, former CIA officer. Um, and I know uh, uh, she grew up uh, in Southern Virginia. Maybe she's got some ideas about barbecue in North Carolina. Uh, in any event, Welcome, Representative Spanberg. Hello. I have barbecue recommendations in Virginia. I don't have any for North Carolina. Cannot be helpful there, but we've got great ones across Virginia's 7th District. See, see how see how she did that there, Mark? That was good. I yeah. got to learn from that. that was, that's why she's been so successful and reelected time after time. Let me start with the news, the story that we can't avoid today, and then we'll move on from there. But uh, clearly what everybody is talking about, the TV networks are going 24-7 on, is uh, yesterday's indictment by uh, uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith of uh, former President Trump on a number of counts associated with January 6th. It's been 30 months in coming, uh, and yet um, even for those who expected it to come all along, reading the words of the indictment, um, I don't know. For me, it, it, it I raised little hairs in the back of my neck. It's you could sort of feel how historic it was, uh, and I think the place to begin is just simply to get your reaction to it. Well, I I think to 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 give a framework for my reaction on January sixth, I was in the House chamber, and I was among those who were uh, stuck in the House chamber during the attack on the Capitol. Um, we had members who were on the floor 
those were the ones who were speaking related to the challenges uh, to the uh, electors. And then there was a large group of us. We had been up in the gallery because of COVID. We were trying to spread out. Um, and as they were able to evacuate members of Congress off the House floor, uh, there was a group of us and a couple members of the press who were uh, stuck in the House gallery because there were already insurrectionists um, at the doors on the side of the, the House chamber that we were on. Um, and so looking back on that day, the, the frankly, the just worry, concern, fear, terror that the Capitol Police officers had as they were trying to, you know, guard doors that people were banging on, they were breaking glass of of course, uh, there uh, there was a, a police officer who discharged his firearm, um, and the day itself was was chaos. Um, the the memories of what that day was in the House chamber, and then of course, you know, the videos of police officers being beaten, beaten with American flags uh, and flagpoles. Uh, it was just a horrible, horrible day, and uh, so you know. Re reading and revisiting that day for, for me reflects a bit on the fact that, you know, it was a day of such chaos and terror um, and, you know, a really sad day for the United States. But um, at the end of that day, we did go back into the House chamber and we did certify the election uh, doing our duty, which is really the responsibility uh, of anyone elected to to any office. If, if I may just pick up on that before I turn to Mark. Um, We've we've seen a variety of responses to this, um, including the vi former vice president who plays, um, I think, a larger than many expected role in this indictment because he apparently has was taking um, uh, contemporaneous notes during some of his conversations, and those were used in the indictment. Uh, and he said, you know, no, no, nobody should put their personal uh, career uh, ahead of the Constitution. Um, uh, and a couple of other Republican presidential candidates said something sort of in that zip code. But the, the response from a lot of your colleagues on the Hill has been just party line. And I'm wondering, having lived through all of that and having watched some of their views, such as uh, Speaker McCarthy's views, morph from the aftermath of that to where they are today. I'm wondering what your reaction is to those who are just sort of, you know, standing up and reflexively defending um, uh, the former president. I remember what they said on January 6th. I remember what they said in the days and the weeks after January 6th, that some of the things they said very publicly and many of the things they said privately. Um, and so it is deeply um, disappointing to see someone who I know feels a particular way or felt a particular way or knows that, you know, there were two choices on that day. And we have an example, right? You, We have what former President Trump did, which is try to uh, discount up and, uh, as the indictment says, you know, defraud the American people. And then we have what former Vice President Pence did, which is follow his responsibility, follow his commitment to the Constitution, uh, and do what was required of him and the oath that he took. Um, and so there were some people in the days after that were using their elevated voices of, as members of Congress to you know, clearly put themselves in, in the camp of uh, former Vice President Trump. And, you know, many, many, far too many have backed away from that. 
Um, and I think it's deeply disappointing because, uh, you know, it's people putting their political priorities first ahead of anything else. And, and the reality is, is if as many people who recognize his culpability, know what he did was wrong, would actually talk about it, they would be able to demonstrate leadership to their voters. They would be able to say, you know, I know this might be unpopular, but let me tell you why. And and we have, uh, I think, examples of real political courage. And uh, and I'll I'll give you know the obvious ones are Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, but you know Tom Rice and Jamie Herrera Butler, two other members of Congress who voted for impeachment after January sixth, um, and Tom Rice in his debate because he got a primary. Uh, which he ultimately lost, uh, which is why he's no longer a member of Congress, uh, in his debate in his primary, gave the most um, succinct, dedicated, and I would call it beautiful defense of the Constitution and his responsibilities, as he framed it, as a conservative. Um, And if more people would uh, be honest with themselves and their voters and, and follow his lead or Jamie's lead, um, then, then I think the country would be in a very different place. Mark. So I, you know, I, I know this is going to make you feel uncomfortable, uh, uh, and and I know your sense of humility. But you talked about courage, um, but I would say that your colleagues owe you a, a, a real debt um, because I know uh, uh, what you were doing on the floor that day, and you were helping safeguard your colleagues, not just Democrats but Republicans as well, by doing things such as taking their pins off. Um, ensuring that they would they would be safe, and so I, I think everyone owes you a, a, a tremendous debt. I know you don't like to talk about it, um, but we, hey, Mark, turnaround is fair play. Are we going to start talking about all the things no, you did contract. to safeguard the country from terrorist attacks, yada yada yada. So if uh, <laughs> I'm happy to embarrass you if, if we're going to go, down we could do that way. another episode. But well, I, I I will say that you know if, for those of us who have had you know training and role playing and you know examples of this is how you react in a in a split second emergency, um, you know it, it's in a time when there is you know a lot going on, lots of chaos. Um, you know, being able to at times be a calming force for folks around you as everyone's trying to get through it. Um, is is I think a, a role that anyone who can play that role should. And, and well, I I think you certainly did, and uh, and a lot of people are thankful for that. But let's think about January sixth for uh, and 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 of course the indictment from yesterday. Think about it in the perspective of when you were a, a field case officer for CIA and you were overseas. And one thing I you know what we saw this morning, of course, everyone was watching you know uh, you know hours and hours of of the 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 shows on TV, but the world watches. So what about what about the rest of the world as they perceive um, perhaps American institutions, you know, holding? And, you know, is this good for kind of the U.S. brand to actually see that, you know, no one is above the law? And think about when you would go to a diplomatic reception, our, co- our old colleagues going tonight or tomorrow. You know, what's what's your sense on that? I, I mean, my sense on that and, and you know, I've, I've often thought about this situation that day, certainly the, you know, the visuals around the world of what January 6th looked like was a great day of sadness for the United States and certainly overseas, knowing that some of our adversaries would be rejoicing as what you know really looked like a day of chaos because it was. Um, but the idea that time and time again, our institutions are holding, the idea that after even after an insurrection, when the glass was still broken and the Capitol was still 
in chaos that we walked back in the middle of the night um, and and voted to uh, to uh, certify the election. You know, that's an example of our uh, our institutions holding the fact that there continues to be uh, clear and as defined by law, as outlined in indictments, an effort to hold people accountable, both those who um, participated in the insurrection on on January 6th, um, all the way up to the top, including uh, the former president. I think it's an, it sends an important message to the world because from an intel perspective, from an intel officer's perspective, you know, when when you are looking at what's happening in another country, it's those vulnerabilities, it's that instability, it's things are falling you know, off kilter, and and how might that be uh, a contributing factor to your ability to you know get information uh, to to bring back home? And certainly, as you know, we spent time trying to make sure we were sending information back home to the United States. We do not want uh, foreign intel officers to be able to do the same um, uh, of of Americans and of our people. And I think that for anybody, you know who's out on the circuit right now representing the United States uh, and working to collect intelligence, I think particularly those in countries where there's instability, to be able to use the United States as a counterpoint to say, you know, our country's had some troubles, but we are the United States of America and our institutions are holding. And I think it sets an, I think it sets an important example. And even, you know, frankly, in the short comments that the special prosecutor made saying, you know, here's the indictment, this is what they've laid out, and it will be tested in a court of law. Um, the fact that he was very clear that the accused are innocent until proven guilty, uh, and that it is their job to make the case, and that, you know, it, it will be in the court of law that their case is tested. I think even very clearly stating that is an important element of demonstrating that uh, our institutions have a process that must be abided. And and I think people across the world, I know people across the world are watching that. Yeah, and I think there's an open question, right? Uh, uh, clearly, Jack Smith has taken his job seriously. It appears to me that he has done so um, in a uh, nonpartisan and, and, and uh, sort of away with his focus clearly on the law and the evidence. Um, but we don't know how this is going to turn out. And the fact that people are trying to politicize it, the fact that the former president is running for re-election, uh, and it is clear, I think, in the minds of everyone that one of his goals in so doing would be to undo this, to say that, in fact, he um, might be above the law and his co-conspirators might be above the law, leaves some big question marks in the eyes, not just of Americans, but of our adversaries. Uh, and if I may just sort of slightly shift the focus here, one of those adversaries, Vladimir Putin, shares the objective that Donald Trump does in that he may view this election as being existential, um, uh, that if he ends up with um, another term of Biden, the outcome in Ukraine is likely to be uh, not good for him. If he ends up with a term of Trump, it is likely to be much better. If he ends up with another term of Trump, uh, the goals that he has for American decline and 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 the ascendancy of him in other countries are likely to be better served. Um, as a former 
agency case officer and as a member of Congress, does it alarm you to think of that alignment of interests and the consequences it may have for the 2024 elections? I mean, I think there's a simple rule of thumb. Uh, if you are aligned with Vladimir Putin, you are probably doing something wrong uh, as, as just a baseline. But but I, I think to answer your question, David, it's important to think about the, the framework of, of what you're talking about, right? Notably, uh, President Biden and importantly, the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate in a very broad and bipartisan, not to say there's not some and there and there are some who align uh, with Putin's talking points and question our support to Ukraine, but currently very broad bipartisan support to supporting our Ukrainian allies um, and our partners around the world who are supporting our Ukrainian allies in their fight for freedom, their fight for their democracy, um, and through the provision of information and aid and uh, you know lethal support, and also bringing together, demonstrating extraordinary leadership on the global stage. Um, and, and so what we do know is that uh, as a candidate, Donald Trump is saying into the future that you know he questions and does not want to continue uh, that level of support uh, to to Ukraine, which of course falls squarely. Uh, in an objective that that Vladimir Putin would like to see reached, uh, as as he and his country continue to wage just a horrific war against the Ukrainians, um, and so you know this election, yes, it means so much for us here at home, but it it really does mean so much for the cause of democracy throughout the world and the United States's position as a global leader, um, willing to and continuing to demonstrate. Uh, our commitment to democratic values at home and abroad. Mark. So let, let's uh, kind of shift just a bit to uh, uh, to a new committee that you are on, um, which yeah. is the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. I'll say that it, it, it took some time uh, uh, and and myself and many others, uh, former I- intelligence officers, were, were certainly, certainly hoping that you get on on oversight. And now you are there. And I think that's a great thing. I I go back and I think I told you this. I went several months ago, right when you, um, uh, you know, when you found out you were going to go on to HIPSI. I talked to CIA Director Burns, and I and and he, we were saying what a good thing this was. And I told him that uh, I said Representative Spanberger knows where the bodies are buried, so careful. She's not going to be not literally, not, not literally. Mean figuratively, please. <laughs> but I said you're not going to be a rubber stamp, and and so I think that would you know the the notion that this would make you really effective on on oversight. So give us a sense of, you know, in the in the several months now, um, what you've what you've learned there. You know, how is and of course it's been a couple of years since you were in the agency. So, you know, how are they doing? Our key adversaries, Russia, you know, actually China, Russia. Um, there was recent there's been recent, of course, you know, uh, issues with sexual harassment at the agency, which I know is is, you know, that that is has been a focus of HIPSI. So you know how are, how is the agency doing now? Are they are they set? Are they poised to tackle these challenges in in, in the future? Well, I, I think first just to, to comment on the the committee, and I'll be very vague because of course I'm not giving details because it's the Intel Committee, and you respect that, Mark, uh, and and David. Though Mark, it was your question. I, I would say the committee itself has been has been great. Um, I would uh, I have nothing but really complimentary things to say about uh, um, the chairman. Uh, Mike Turner and the ranking member Jim Himes. They have been working together very well. They have demonstrated a you know a united uh, desire to work in a very bipartisan manner to ensure that the committee is is able to meet its objective, which is oversight 
of the intelligence community. Um, and, and I think that the committee has been working together very, very well, which, you know, as someone who still has uh, friends within the intelligence community, I am grateful uh, that there are so many people and the chairman and the ranking member who are committed to really doing right by uh, the the cause of oversight. That means kind of fiercely and aggressively asking a lot of questions, but also wanting to ensure that day by day, uh, those questions and that oversight is meant to make the intelligence community stronger. And so, you know, I, I also have uh, have had really positive interactions, some some terse questioning at times, but positive interactions with uh, leadership from the intelligence community. They have been highly responsive, uh, talking about you know the good, the bad, the clear needs for improvement. Uh, and so I'm I'm I think they are doing what is required of them, obviously by law and submitting to oversight. But I think that they have also been really engaged in, in trying to ensure that that oversight is effective. Um, and I've dug deep on some some of these issues because, you know, I, I, I know some of the answers. And so here's an answer. OK, yes, but let's break it down because the answer I really want is in the sort of second level of details. And so you know, I've, I've been um, I, I think that uh, Director Burns uh, at the helm of the CIA, I think, is um, doing a very strong job. Um, and, and certainly has uh, has has done a, a good job before the committee of certainly answering our questions, certainly being accountable, but also making sure that on a day to day basis, the committee is understanding the hard work of the line officers, which, you know, when you're constantly looking at things from a you know 30,000 foot view, sometimes the fact that this report is so fantastic and wonderful and it's in the presidential daily brief. Great job, everybody. But, you know, actually taking a moment to say, well, what's the work that went into getting that? You know, who did that? What was their life like? You know, how many months, how many years did they put into being able to feed that information that's vital to national security? And I think that um, there's been a, a real clear um, desire to make sure that, you know, certainly any committee member has a has a more fulsome understanding of, of how the Intel Committee gets from point A you know, to, to point Z, because there's lots of places along the way. There's a tendency in committees like that to deal with the crisis of the moment, um, or uh, maybe even to fight the last war. But clearly, we're at a moment of inflection, technologically, where uh, the introduction of new technologies from AI to quantum computing to whatever, are going to change the nature of some of the threats that we face disinformation and and far beyond that, they're also going to change the nature of the way intelligence communities um, uh, do their work. Uh, you know, in fact, in every other industry, when these new technologies arrive, the question is, should we, you know, zero base our thinking, start over again? Should we be doing this in a new way? It's hard to do that in the government. How do you think um, the, the the committee and the intelligence community is adapting to what is a sea change um, thanks to these new technologies? You know, I think that the 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 new technologies, be it you know uh, a cell phone in everybody's pocket and your Fitbits and you know all, all of these sort of new technologies. There's always been evolution of technology that the intelligence community has had to adjust to or incorporate. 
I think we've certainly seen a, a relative explosion that they've been kind of responding to in terms of emerging technologies um, and just change in lifestyle and, and the way people may communicate or engage. Uh, and I think that that's particularly impactful on uh, the human intelligence side. Um, but I think that they're adjusting uh, fairly well. They are you know, very clearly aware of, of challenges and adjusting to them. And I would say just in terms of the committee, the, the really um, impactful thing about the committee, uh, we, we do some open hearings. And I think the chairman and ranking member have been good about having some public hearings. Uh, but we have hearings all the time. Um, and so, you know, if you're following, I also serve on the Agriculture Committee. I previously served on the Foreign Affairs Committee. You know, we, we've got a, 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 an array of great committees in Congress, and you can easily follow them on the website. You know when they have their hearings. You can watch them streaming online. Um, and, and they have committee hearings or subcommittee hearings at, at kind of regular uh, intervals. Well, the Intel, the Intel Committee has hearings all the time. And when we don't have hearings, we have briefings. <laughs> Um, and so there is a tremendous amount of coordination, a tremendous amount of efforts to keep us informed. Um, and then, and then, frankly, the committee members and staff uh, are pretty forward-leaning on the things that we want to know about um, and the briefings that we're requiring, requesting, and the hearings that, that we're holding. Let me, let me just jump in and, and, on that from a, from a kind of a career intelligence officer perspective. And I think you know, perhaps listeners don't understand um, and maybe they have their kind of a, a vision of, of what things are like in the movies. But CIA officers actually believe in co congressional oversight. It's something that is taken incredibly seriously. You know, in my career, uh, particularly in, in, you know, in Near East Division and in, in the Counterterrorism Center, um, you know, I, if I was in the field, I hosted what's called CODELs, congressional delegations, either staff or members. And that's, they, these are really useful. You have, you know, incredible amounts of, of uh, you know, time, maybe on hours on end. Um, uh, and then we, again, the regular briefings as well, and, and particularly on covert action programs. And, you know, we're not going to talk details on this, but, you know, uh, I, I always would joke that the staffers and the, and the members, you know, would know when we went to the bathroom. I mean, it was the, the, the amount of oversight was extraordinary. And the, and the CIA believes in this for, for a number of reasons. One is, of course, it's the right thing to do. And, and, you know, there is a notion of, of holding us accountable. But number two, CIA does not get into trouble when we do this correctly. Um, everyone is in it together. I would take, you know, both Republican and Democratic staffers, um, you know, to various sites around the Middle East. And of course, again, the, the routine briefings on, on covert action. And so when something goes wrong, and inevitably it will, uh, uh, the, the answer is not blame the CIA. The answer is something sometimes goes wrong, but, you know, we can explain why it happened. And that's when staff and members are really, uh, really read in. And uh, uh, you know, to me, oversight is, is, is absolutely critical. And I think that's why, you know, um, what you're saying that the committee is working now is such a good thing because under the, you know, uh, the previous Congress, uh, I, I think that might not have been the case, particularly on the House side. Um, and so, you know, the, I think the American people should be, should be reassured, um, that things have kind of stabilized a bit. That might, might be sense. Yeah. That. And, and, and to be clear, you know, good oversight, you may not like all the questions we ask, but, um, but I, I, it has been my experience uh, so far that, you know, we always have um, people who are there who are anxious to answer questions, <laughs> lots of handouts, lots of answers. Um, and, and certainly, I think a, a significant and important level of 
uh, accountability and responsibility. And, you know, I would just, you know, it's, it's been some time since I've left the agency, but I do recall that there had been, you know, I do recall that, you know, you didn't always like, and, and I never briefed Congress during my time there, but, you know, when I was working on some different programs, okay, I got to go brief Congress. It wasn't, you know, maybe they looked forward to it as, as much as perhaps a, you know, sometime a dentist visit. Uh, but, you know, there was lots of preparation that went into those meetings and a great deal of respect for the process, um, as I remember it. And now sitting on the other side of the table, uh, it is clear to me that, that that continues to be the case. Thanks. This, by the way, is a point in our podcast where we say thanks to everybody who's been listening, who's not a member, and say if you want to listen to the whole podcast, you should be a member. Go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on Membership. It's about five bucks a month that helps support what we're doing. Uh, for those of you who are members, um, stand by. 